Hello, everybody. Um, it feels like it's been a long time. <laughs> it has been a long time. So you're listening to The Bookworm on fabradiointernational.com between the hours of 12 and 1, sometime in the morning, somewhere in Manchester, sometime on a Sunday. Or you're listening to us on Starburst Magazine's family of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, hello. We've been running around the country as per usual. <laughs> So, um, yes, my name is Ed Fortune and I'm your host and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. Hello, everyone. We've been away so long we've forgotten how to do the introductions. <laughs> so you can find us on Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Twitter as at Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Facebook at forward slash Radio Bookworm or you can just search for us. You can also find us on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Mixcloud as Radio Bookworm. You can find us as iTunes as an irretrievably complex string of numbers, but you just search for us instead. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, coming up on the show, I will be talking about Charles Stross's The Atrocity Archives. Ooh. And I'll be talking about Lips Touched by Lainey Taylor. But all of that is coming soon. the world the real alternative fabradiointernational.com so what sort of absolute nonsense do we have going on in the world at the moment no i don't know well if you were around the manchester area yesterday we were at the lovely mangstercon uh, which is a, a small um, a small convention um, sort of dedicated to independent um, comic book and um, sort of authors and and writers um, and everything that's sort of indie. So there were lovely, lovely stalls with beautiful prints and lots of little crafts, and um, it was very nice indeed. So, what else has been happening in the world of, of books and conventions? Firstly, uh, Chris Riddell has been absolutely lovely, mm. because he's Chris Riddell. That's hardly <laughs> news, though, isn't it? It's like, oh, Chris Riddell is really nice. Yeah, we know that. Um, what he's done is he's produced for the book trust some doodles, Ooh. and they've gone down very well. Uh, they have done very well indeed. Um, also in the news, this is this is book by this, this is book called The Free Body Problem. It's been optioned for a movie. Ooh. Okay. The interesting thing about the free body problem is it's been optioned for a movie. It's a very good piece of sci-fi. Uh, we should review it on the show at some point. Mm. Uh, it also won the Hugo Award. Oh, well, not many things did that. No, not many things did win the Hugo Award. <laughs> Sorry, was that spoilers? <laughs> Just slight spoilers. Um... So let's see, let's see, let, let's see if we can untangle all of this as we, as we go across it. Do you want to talk about other things and then circle back round to the Hugos? Shall, shall we try circling? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Just, just go with the flow. Desperately try circling back round. We can talk about another thing. We can talk about um, uh, John's. <laughs> it's, it's hopeless. We're, we're, we're going to get drawn into the inevitable circle that it, there's, that is the Hugos. I suspect. Helsinki 2017. Yes, talking about the Hugo Awards. Yeah, Helsinki. 2017. Sorry, I was trying desperately to rescue the news section. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is no hope. Just, just go in the flow. That's what, what, I, what we do. We'll go. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, Helsinki 2017 yeah, is going to be in Finland, obviously. Because <laughs> that is what Helsinki is. It's yeah. going to be in the Masuskus Centre. Uh, yeah, that's the, I'm, I'm almost guaranteeing that ain't how you pronounce that. <laughs> It's you know. I'm fairly sure you left out several consonants there, the, including a Z. The <laughs> guests of honour are people that I have not heard of. Really? <laughs> um, but they're all marvellously diverse and interesting. They've all got really interesting specialisms. Ooh. So you look at it and you go, ooh. Should we, 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 we talk about who they exactly are? Uh, the guests of honour will be Swedish author and translator Jean-Henry Holmberg, Jamaican author Nalo Hopkinson, Finnish author uh, Johanna Sinisalo, French artist and illustrator Claire Wendling and American author Walter John Williams. Mm. 
Yes, you you are right. I've not, uh, like most of these people have I've not heard of. But um, you've, you've got somebody Finnish, which makes sense. Somebody yeah. Swedish, which makes sense because they're kind of next door to each other and they get on quite well. And uh, it is World Con, so really you yeah, want a good, yeah. a good diversity there. So yeah, well done for sort of looking around and 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 being different and original instead of just going for the same old names. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, you see, diversity is the point. Let's let's get on to what was going on with with uh, World Con in Tascon. It's just happened last week mm-hmm. um, diversity is the problem is as far as I'm concerned the fact that Worldcon was originally formed by Americans to talk about science fiction but they wanted being you know optimistic idealistic science fiction writers they they wanted it to be a thing for the world so they made it a thing for the world and and quite rightly so you know it, it's the way that sh- those things should go <laughs> the problem is is that a lot of the Worldcon members are over a certain age conservative of a small C, I'm not saying they're conservative of a big C, I'm saying they're conservative as a, 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 a in, as you do as you get older you become more kind of inclined to go to things that are outside your doorstep and just over time they just uh, <laughs> they, they, it, it's gotten more and more kind of you know insular and, and conservative but the selections that have happened for the Hugo Awards have continued to be really good Mm-hmm. And they've continued to be kind of diverse and interesting. And the reason we're getting diverse and interesting stuff in the Hugo Awards is because the world is actually getting a little bit fairer. Only a little, little bit. Little by little, little yeah. By little, little by little. But if nothing else, I think people have, have got uh, have gotten more confident in, in spotlighting the fact that, you know, we're all different and there's people that are considered less because of their differences and it's not fair. Exactly, and what's happening is that slowly but surely those voices are being listened to on, you know, something that's approaching in level footing. And oddly enough, they're new and interesting original voices because they're from, from people that they've not listened to before. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are getting very excited about this these new works because it's new stuff and it's new and interesting stuff. Absolutely. So oddly enough, they're getting nominated more. It's not a massive... Marxist conspiracy, whatever nonsense people have been coming out with, but this is this is what's happened with the the Hugo Awards, is the fact that there's been a bunch of, shall we call them special interest groups, mm. small special interest groups, and basically what happened what happened about two or three years ago, small special interest groups turned around and went, um, can we have more kind of just fun pulpy stuff, and they tried to get more fun pulpy stuff, and they did that in a very kind of you know they they kind of campaigned and the more older conservative types were like oh you're campaigning you're not really supposed to campaign you're just supposed to go with the flow and like you know vote for stuff that you want and they campaigned and they campaigned for more sort of pulpy stuff and then and then people with political interests and political interests over over the joy of fandom got involved and then we got to the situation we got to in 2015 where we had entire slates that just dominated and destroyed and controlled parts of the Hugo Awards so the Hugo Awards were dominated by people who weren't writing interesting works, but were trying to make a political point. Mm. The majority of world comments was just like, we don't want to play this game, we just want cool books. So the results <laughs> that I have in front of me, in case you've missed them. So the free oh, bo- you've managed to get, pick, get those, oh, well done. The, the Free Body Problem, um, uh, best novel, um, by Shiex Ilio. Um, translated by Kenny Leo uh, has been optioned for a movie, as we were saying. Mm. Best novella, no award. He's a very popular author. There's no award. Very, very popular indeed this year. Uh, best novelette, The Day the World Turned Upside Down by Thomas Old Hilvitt. Um, uh, it was in a copy of Lightspeed magazine. Lightspeed is great, by the way. Well, I think we should probably say that like no award came second in this category. Blimey. You, I, I've got the four things. Have you got the four things? You just got. No, I've just got, I've just got the the winners. Yeah. So, Best, uh, best short story, no award. Best related work, no award. Best graphic novel, best graphic story. I love this. Miss Marvel, Volume One. Miss Marvel, of course, is Kamala Khan. Hmm. Um, the ship shifting, uh, ship shifting girl, uh, teenage girl has all sorts of teenage girl problems. Mm-hmm. Happens uh, lives in New York. Happens to be a Muslim. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I really like Miss Marvel. Um, I, I think Saga was also up for that award. Uh, I, I kind of like Saga a bit better. Guardians of the Galaxy um, won Best Dramatic Presentation because, yeah, of course. It was actually a, Guardians of the Galaxy was on the puppy's list. But come on, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. What else was going to win? Well, the Lego movie came last. No! Mm-hmm. The Fiends! Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Interstellar, Edge of Tomorrow, the Lego movie. 
that's rubbish. Mm. It didn't get an Oscar either, did it? It did not get an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Pants. Bad, bad show, Hugo. I, I voted number one for the Lego movie, I'd like to say. <laughs> um, best editor, short form, no award. Best editor, long form, no award. Best professional art, artist, Julie Dillon. Best semi prosen Lightspeed. Best fanzine, Jenny, Jenny Planet. Welcome done to James Bacon. Um, and I have to tell you, certainly in short form, the no award result was overwhelming. Wow, really? Yep. Best fan cast, not the bookworm. <laughs> Even worse, not not uh, not tea in jeopardy. No, this is rubbish. Galactic Galactic Suburbia podcast instead. Uh, best fan writer was Lovell J. Oh, oh, but I'm telling you, that was close. On the first round of voting, that was close between Galactic Suburbia and Tea and Jeopardy. Really, really. They've co- they keep coming really close to Tea and Jeopardy, and you know it's charming and it's lovely. And Emma Newman works really hard. Mm. And uh, I've just read her book Planetfall, which I'm not reviewing this week, but it's marvellous. I really liked it. It's really, really sad. Um, yes, um, best fan cast: Galactia Suburbia, Tea and Jeopardy. No award. Goodness, yep. that's because a lot of people just put no award all the way down, didn't they? Because they wanted a, like a kind of the world's most boring Hugo. Uh, yeah, pass one: Galactia Suburbia, nine eighty four; Tea and Jeopardy, nine one five; No award, six seventy two. Bloody hell! Uh, <laughs> best fan artist: Elizabeth. Elizabeth look, I have the stats. Look, look. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, you them. <laughs> well done to Wesley Chew, who's been a guest on the show uh, for the John W. Campbell Award. Yay! Um, so yeah, so goodness me, so all of that nonsense. But let's let's talk see, about. See, we we got it wrong. We should have ju- just about before we should have changed the 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 name of the podcast to No Award. At yeah, this point, yeah, we, we would have, have thirty Hugos. <laughs> it would have been amazing. <laughs> no one, no one knew at the time of the noms when the noms came out that the slate was going to be so effective. That was one of the things that was such a surprise was that the, the slate was um was was going to be a thing. Um, Producer Al, hello. Can you just pull up John Scalzi's blog for me? Uh, uh maybe. So. Uh, and there's a reason. There's a reason. Just because you asked nicely. Just because I asked nicely. But um, yes, so the stuff that came out of this was during the Hugo Awards. Um, lots of people cheered. At uh, one point, people started booing, and Dave Gerald, who was the who was the Master of Ceremonies style chap, basically went, "Stop, do it, stop booing. That's not that's not how we behave." So people cheered instead. <laughs> um, one of the things they did, which was a bit con- has moved to be a bit controversial, is they handed out asterisks. Little little awards with asterisks on. Okay. Because because of the whole thing of the no award stuff and because of the complications of the whole uh, whole no award stuff, they produce these little discs with an asterisk inside, as a kind of a way of saying here is a note about what's going on. You know, here's to commemorate the. Fact I'm not sure whether I'm reading his blog or I'm not. I'm just not sure. This is quite obnoxious. It is. Is that uh, have you got to the ebook that he's talking about? Yeah. Do you want to read that title? Uh, John Scalzi is not a very popular author, and I myself am quite popular. Shall I explain what that's all about? Yeah. So this what? is narcissism on a grand and glorious scale. What, John Scalzi or the yes. other person? No, John Scalzi. Okay, that's an interesting point. Um, no, I really think it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, John Scalzi, you have just like shocked producer Al. <laughs> so John Scalzi is a former war- a Hugo Award-winning author. Yes, he's um, got movies in the the pipeline as yeah. well. Um, he's incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. He also has a substandard nemesis. Mm-hmm. His substandard nem- nemesis is. If you think that John Scalzi is a bit of a narcissist, then welcome to the glory that is Theodore Beale, a.k.a. Vox Day. And I think this is the last time we're going to call him by his proper name, and I'm, I would like to refer to him as John Scalzi's substandard nemesis instead. Forever. Or, sim- or simply the substandard nemesis. Um, he, he was in charge of one of the Hugo slates. He's one of the people that's responsible for all of the new awards happening. Um, his... Reason for protesting seemed to be more ha ha, bet it all down. Um, he went out of his way to call everyone jerks, he went out of his way to upset people. And when the results came out, um, the substandard nemesis was like, That was my plan all along, I'm a tactical genius. Okay, uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, that you idiot. So, <laughs> that um, that book 
uh, that you've just read the title out to mm-hmm. is response to the substandard nemesis nemesis's of a book that he I don't care make it go away <laughs> that he used uh, he used all of the, the Hugo um, controversy to sell a book called uh, SJW's Always Lie um, and it's uh, an absurd narcissistic rant about right wing anti anti people I think is the best way to describe it just generally anti people I, I was going to say anti this or you, we, we could say racist we could say bigoted we could say all of that just anti people just not nice just a not nice rant about a bunch of people who would like the world to be a bit of a fairer place um, to sell to the sort of people who uh, are angry on the internet um, John Scalzi produced his own well no, someone else produced his own uh, a, a kind of a counterpoint parody version of it and um, John Scalzi said he'd read it out to be uh, fair to be fair and I roll my eyes just then because mm-hmm. it's fantastic radio but to be fair he said he'd read it out if it got a certain amount of money for Conor Bust raised exactly it's yeah. been raising money for Conor Bust that was the that was the point I was going to make is that he's used he used his substandard nemesis attempt to make money for himself, turned it back on itself and used it to raise money for Conor Bust. If you don't know who Conor Bust are, Conor Bust are this awesome charity who um, let people who wouldn't normally get to conventions get to conventions, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Um, and some people that we actually know used Conor Bust recently, and they really did. It was really really useful for them. Actually, it was very very useful for them. It allowed them to to do stuff they wouldn't normally get to do and further um, their career. So there you go. It's already twenty past twelve. Oh, have we gone on a bit too? We, yeah, have, a, we have a tad. It's it's Hugo's. Of course, we were going to oh, go no. over. Yeah. I, I and, and we haven't been here for three weeks. So. <laughs> I, I promise my my review will be short and sweet. Can we um, now put a lid on all of this for the time being? Okay, oh, I'm sitting oh. on the lid. By the way, before we go, right. So we're going to put a lid on the whole thing about the sad puppies and the Hugo Awards. If all of this has been incomprehensible ranting and raving, just you know, tweet us, tweet us telepathically communicate this uh, unless you're the substandard nemesis in which case wait 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 I just got a telepathic message who cares let's move on yep so moving on (laughs) just before we go on to the reviews UK podcasters awards yay vote for us vote for us vote 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 for us you can vote for us in the UK podcasters award we will be at a ceremony in September the 12th Which should be a brilliant, well, which should be a brilliant day for us because on September the twelfth is also Blackpool Comic Con. Hey, you'll be hearing more about that in the forthcoming messages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, it's like we planned this. It mm. really isn't. Yeah. Um, so we'll be doing that at some point. Uh, but coming up next, well, do you want to, want to very briefly mention the Manchester Literature Festival? Oh. Manchester Literature Festival coming October. Full program now out includes Anthony Horowitz and Margaret Ooh. Atwood. Wee you, you know, every time I say the Manchester Man, Manche, Manchester Literary Fe- Festival, I keep calling it the Manchester International Literature, Literature Fe- Festival, no. which it's not. No, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. So coming up next, some messages. Is Tom Hingley's fulfilled? No. Is Tom Hingley's satisfied? No. Is Tom Hingley's bitter? No. Tom Hingley's bitter is a 4% and a hoppy ale. It's brewed in Montgomeryshire in Wales and gathered from the website Best of British Whether you're an acoustic virtuoso... Assemble. Coming out of hyperspace, Saturday the 12th of September, 2015. It's Blackpool Comic Con at the stunning Winter Gardens Blackpool. Meet and get autographs and professional photo shoots with international stars from Star Wars, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Thunderbirds, Supernatural, Robocop, and more. Relive the golden age of wrestling with legends Mick Foley, Kevin Nash, Al Snow, and Chavo Guerrero Jr. The comic strip area respects the book with international guests from Marvel, DC, and Dark Horse, plus UK indies. Blackpool Comic Con is a totally interactive experience with Q&As, a live makeup recreation by Sean Harrison, the art of film, 
Props, Titan the Robot Show, Sword Fighting Class with Milto's Mural Le Mans, and Famous Vehicles. Costopia will be our haven for cosplayers with international stars Kristen Huey, Hikari Cat, and Tabitha Lyons, appearing as well as our competition for attendees and early entrance. Don't delay. Become a Conteer today and head to the website BlackpoolComicCon.com to book and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for daily announcements. See you in September. So I'm going to talk about... I've got an absolute load of, of books that I've read recently when mm. I was on Absolute pile of things. Um, unfortunately, all of them are not out yet. <laughs> so I was, and I've been told off before for um, you know for doing stuff that people haven't ha- don't even have a chance to look at. <laughs> so we're going to give it a little... Is there uh, other point of book reviews slash previews? <laughs> it is, but... Um, what have I misunderstood the fundamental nature of our show? <laughs> What I, what I could do is I could wait um, a week. Oh, okay. Uh, and then we could be, you know, dead on. Oh, okay. So, um, so I was going to talk about Charles Stross. And Charles Stross has written a book absolutely ages ago in 2004. <laughs> He's actually written a successful series called The Laundry, which I'm a bit of a fan of. And rather than going through the entire Laundry series and spoiling it all horribly for you, <laughs> which I could quite easily do, I was just going to concentrate on the first book, because once you've read the first book, you've either decided if you like it or not. Okay. Um, so, um, oh, what's the Trusted Archives about? Well, it's a short novella, so it's not that long. Um, but it's about a guy called Bob Oliver Francis, Francis Howard, which is, his, which is a fake name. Because Bob... Is a spy. Bob is a spy for the British government. He works for uh, a branch of the British government referred to as the Laundry, which mm. you have never heard of because it's a secret organisation. And, and unlike the old, the other secret organisations, they're quite good at keeping secrets. This crowd. Um, this is because they keep the secrets that you are not meant to know. And by not meant to know, I mean in an H.P. Lovecraft style way, as in if you know that your head might actually explode, sort of a way. So, you know, best not to really. Um, Bob was a computer scientist. He was playing with some ideas, playing with some concepts, accidentally programmed what is essentially the equivalent of a dimensional occult bomb, almost blew up Birmingham, um, got arrested by various agents, and rather than rather than killing people for being clever, the British government have this rather clever thing. They offer you a job. They actually make you sign the Official Secrets Act. They actually make you sign the Official Secrets Act. And there's a section of the Official Secrets Act that is magical, that you can't see until you've been gassed. So once you've been essentially magically cursed, you can see this section that says, if you betray these secrets, you you will get a warm tingling in your head. Then you'll continue to get a warm tingling in your head until it explodes. So don't read these secrets. <coughs> so you're literally magically cursed to, you know, stay in the laundry. Lots of people in the laundry are, let's be honest, useless. They have um, been drawn into it by bad luck. And they have found themselves trapped in, um, tra- trapped in th- these circumstances. Not much they can do about that. Um, Bob is one of the smarter ones, and Bob has been uh, at the start of the book. He's been assigned some field work. Field work essentially means sitting in, standing outside uh, an old industrial estate uh, at midnight in the rain, getting wet, <clears throat> waiting for everyone to go home so he can break in. He breaks in, um, and there's some bloke, some other bloke who's been working in IT, who's been messing about, has. Essentially, you know, this chap has been has, has has been working on something new, something exciting, a new idea. He's into the occult, and he's also created the occult equivalent of you know an atrocity. Yeah. Essentially, 
So it's kind of Bob's job to just to make sure that that goes away. So Bob breaks the guy's computer, all the rest of it, and some nice gentleman will pop round at some point and have a word with the person who's been up to all the nonsense. Um, however, Bob is then given some more field work and told to go and see a chap called Moore. Moore does not turn out to be a chap. Moore turns out to be a tall, very pretty, very well, very well together, highly intelligent, red-haired girl, uh, woman even, who is, you know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and she herself, her current um, research is of special interest to the American government. And by special interest to the American government, we actually mean it's also the sort of thing that could end the world. Mm. She sees, she stumbled upon the occult equivalent of an H-bomb. Um, and there's a bit of a chase scenario where they're trying to... Essentially, there's three factions who are interested in more. The British government, who would quite like to be back in the country under their auspices. Um... A bunch of terrorists, an Al Qaeda-style organisation, who kind of stumbled across this, and the American government. There's also there's also a fourth group who date all the way back to World War Two, and are in fact the Fuel Society. Indeed, occult Nazis from beyond the stars. Oh God! Um, are are also involved in this entire conspiracy? Are are they? They may not be. Because this is this is essentially a spy novel with some Cold War elements, with some World War Two kind of you know boys from Brazil style, star, style post World War Two agencies as well, but with a delicious slice of occult nonsense. One of the things I really really like about the way that all of the magic is done in this, and it is magic, is that it's all parsed in modern computer science terms. So it's you know it's 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 not essentially the idea is that once you get to a certain level of computer science and mathematical proof and mathematical understanding, you inevitably find yourself sliding into the occult and other dimensions and drawing power from other realities. Mm. This is really bad because if you actually draw too much power from other realities, things come through, mm-hmm. and those things are not friendly to human life. No. There's 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 a wonderful there's a wonderful scene early on, where Bob is, at what is essentially a training course for the occult, hmm. and for using basic kind of you know occult technologies, and someone is on the wrong course. <laughs> he he shouldn't be there. He's on the wrong course. He should not be in that room, and unfortunately, he doesn't read the health and safety guidelines. And there's strict terms on the health and safety guidelines because this is the British government. Damn it. <laughs> the wonderful thing about the Atrocity Archives is there's also a strong element in the laundry series as well there's a strong element of bureaucracy there's an awful lot of you know okay it's fine that you've saved the world but you were late for work the following day and you didn't tell us that you'd be absent so you, you, what you're saying is it's very British it's very British <laughs> lots and lots of petty bureaucracy and lots and lots of petty nonsense um, do I like the, the do I like the Atrocity Archives yes do I like the, the rest of the series yes um, should you read it? Yes. <laughs> should you start with the free novella Equoid? No, 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 no. Do not start with Equoid. It'll put you off the entire series. Um, <laughs> it's brilliant, and it won a Hugo for novella, but no. Um, start with the Atrocity Archive. There's a short story at the back there as well about CCTV cameras that can be used as death rays, <laughs> which is equally, equally marvellous. And the, the entire idea of DRM actually being a, uh, a technique to save the world from uh, from itself. <laughs> Um, it's full of these really silly high concept science, science, science fiction, science horror ideas that are in the spirit of what Lovecraft has become now, rather than what Lovecraft was then. Um, great stuff, heartily recommended. It is by Charles Stross. It is on tour, obviously, um, and you can um, you can get it almost anywhere. Awesome. So next we've got um, an interview, don't we? I had a chat with Nina Allen and she was completely lovely. Across the world. 24 hours a day. 
Radio International. Nina Allen, welcome to the bookworm. Hi. What can you tell us about your new book? My new book, um, I am currently writing at the moment. Um, this will be out in 2017. This is a novel about two sisters and um, one of them disappears as a teenager. And 20 years later, she or somebody claiming to be her returns completely out of the blue. And the sister who was left behind um, is determined to discover who she is, whether she is in fact her sister. And the story the missing sister has to tell is something quite remarkable and um, tests all her sister's powers of belief. Where has this come from? It absolutely is a story I've been working on in my mind for a couple of years now, actually. Um, it arises from my interest in people who have told their experiences of alien abduction. And there are some remarkable stories. Um, some of them are fairly easily proved as fakes, but there are many even now, um, that are inexplicable, that stand up under sort of repeated questioning and that the person telling the story at least appears to completely and utterly believe the account that they're giving. And this, this idea that a, a, um, an unbelievable thing may be believed in the mind of the person telling it, this is absolutely compelling to me and the way memory um, can be different according to who is remembering. And, um, yeah, I've been working my way around this and I finally started setting it down um, around about this time last year, actually, after I published my first novel, The Race. Why do we keep telling fairy abduction stories, alien abduction stories? I think it's down to our relationship um, with things we don't necessarily understand, um, be, there, be they memories we have either repressed or that repel us or frighten us, or be they things we have observed that likewise have frightened us or that we don't properly understand, often as children. And um, these they sort of morph, I suppose, into greater images and symbols of the unexplained. And they're, they're universally fascinating. I think that's why horror fiction in particular kind of depends or can depend or can use key tropes. You have the haunted house. You have the disturbing past. You have the bad place. Um, these are these are sort of universal themes, not just obviously from 20th century and 21st century horror, but from much further back, the the, the woodland that you daren't go into, or the the house that becomes a focus of terror among children in a community. Um, they they are their archetypes, and we are we are drawn to them. Is fantasy, science fiction and horror really that distinct? Well, there are theories that say they absolutely are. There's a, a science fiction and fantasy critic, John Clute. He has drawn up an entire system of categorization for horror and he puts it in opposition to science fiction very clearly um, in categorizing horror as the bound fantastic. In other words, you are bound to the earth, you are bound to mortality, and horror fiction is a working out of that bondage. Whereas science fiction is the free fantastic um, in, his, in his terminology. In other words, it is, um, it is concerned with questions of escape, how we can escape the bonds of the planet we are on, how we can escape the future that is coming down the tracks towards us. So, yes, in a sense, they are they are very interestingly opposed. 
and i i always enjoy that tension because i'm i'm um i'm very fond of both literatures i think i i come initially from horror and i've tended more and more in the past number of years towards science fiction i i really enjoy the possibilities of science fiction um that you, you know that possibility of escape um is is sort of infinitely flexible in terms of storytelling whereas horror maybe you return you find yourself drawn irresistibly back to ancient archetypes what's next well i'm working very hard on the um on this new novel the rift at the moment i'm um approximately a third of the way through the second draft and it will probably have a third draft after that i then um interestingly immediately afterwards have a horror project to work on um it's hasn't been announced yet so i can't say too much about it it's a it's a shorter work of fiction but um it will be a very very intre- I've, i've already got some notes lined up for that and it's um directly concerns the horror archetype of haunted houses um so i will i will be looking forward to that very much i you know i'm i um i find these themes irresistible and it'll it'll be a nice contrast to working on the very science fictional project that i'm doing at the moment is the genre community as diverse as it thinks it is i think the genre community um <laughs> we're speaking in the wake of the recent hugo awards and we all know what happened there and i think the voters in the hugo awards have signaled very clearly that um they want progress in the genre they want a variety of works and voices and they want science fiction to continue to be the naturally progressive and radical literature that it is science fiction and um all the fantastic genres are radical they offer infinite possibilities for expression infinite possibilities for the exploration of new ideas and i think this is this is what we need we need to be open to new ideas and to new forms of expressing those it's very easy um in in cycles of genre fiction to sort of get locked into a certain mode of expression a certain range of themes that become comfortable and i think it's the the job of every new generation to break that down and and to find the the um voice of the new generation and to and to add that to the mix i think we i think this is one of the most encouraging things that is happening at the moment i think we genuinely are on the verge of something new um i think uh, ironically this is come about because of the increasing acceptance um and familiarity with genre ideas in the mainstream uh if you're looking back 30 years to something like star wars which seemed very very new and and very sort of weird in a sense at the time and um it was it was it was sort of ghettoized it's sort of like it was something for fans only um and and people sort of outside that ghetto didn't sort of really think it was for them but now you're finding a large number of movies a large number of programs uh, are bringing science fictional and other genre ideas right out into the mainstream they're now for everybody and this is especially true of writers in what is traditionally thought of as the mainstream literary field um you have david mitchell you have kazuo ishiguro you have many writers trying out ideas um that maybe 20 years or even 10 years ago would have been rejected as oh you know that's science fiction we can't touch that um and 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 now increasingly especially younger writers who have grown up with science fiction as a backdrop they're using them they're using them naturally they are having fun with them they're doing different things with them and they are bringing literary values to core science fiction ideas and i i think this is in turn raising the game of science fiction writing within 
the more traditional genre community and it's having a good sort of mutual feedback effect and and moving moving science fiction into a renaissance i i really do think so truth or beauty truth without question <laughs> nina allen thank you very much for your time thank you so much ed thank you this is fab radio international, international. Welcome back. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes and I'm here with the lovely Ed. Hello. So what have you got there then? Um, so the last 10 minutes of the show, I think I'm going to do the quickest review in the history of reviews. Um, so I've got um, Lips Touch, which is a um, an award-winning uh, short story collection by, by Lainey Taylor. Um, if you don't know Lainey Taylor, she's the author of the um, Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy, mm. which is absolutely lovely. Um, and I picked this up right before I went on holiday. Uh, and I was in Spain for 10 days and I read this and completely and utterly fell in love with it. Um, so there's the three short stories. Um, there's um, Goblin Fruit, um, Spicy Little Curses and Hatchling. Uh, don't don't ask me which one was my favourite. Uh, it would be like choosing between, you know, pizza and, and, and lasagna. It's just not done. Okay. Uh, it doesn't. It does. It. They're all wonderful. Um, they're all different, and yet they all have that same sort of vibe. It's. I think the only way I can describe it is that, that all the three stories are sort of deliciously dark, and they all revolve around the idea of a kiss. Um, so the first story, um, Goblin Fruit, is the story of Kizzy, uh, and Kizzy is your your. Um, your dreamer. She's she's a sixteen year old girl that um, that hates what she is and who she is and dreams of being everything and more and traveling and, and knowing the world and leaving behind her superstitious little family uh, that comes from the old world and believes in things like ghosts and vampires and she believes it too because you know she, she has that that sense that tells her you know that ghosts are real and and that you know putting putting the the wing of of a of a swan in the coffin with your dead grandmother will help her soul fly um, afterwards and make sure that you put some coins so she can bribe her way through uh, and and all of those lovely little superstitions that pepper um, the, the old world um, but Kiz is, Kiz is such a dreamer that um, she's one of these girls where her soul is bare and open um, and she unfortunately attracts the attention of the goblins mm. who wants to come and suck the soul away because it looks delicious. Um, and so when a new boy um, arrives to Kizzy's school, um, she sort of slowly and, and surely falls for the guy, uh, completely ignoring everything that her grandmother has always told her about being careful and just looking out for the devil's creatures. Um, the second short story, um, Spicy Little Curses, um, it's the story, well, it's it's a combined story. You get the story of Estella, who is the ambassador to hell in India, and she gets the job um, when she tries to go and rescue the soul of her dead young husband um, instead gets the job to to be counterpart to Vasudev uh, who is a devil that enjoys cursing humans and, and ending humans lives a lot earlier than, than they should do and so Yama who is lord of of, the, of hell um, decides to, to, to pitch Estella against Vasudev and they have tea every day and and discuss the affairs of the world and uh, Estella tries to save as many souls from, from an early demise as she can. And so during one of these tea parties, little tea, afternoon tea, um, she's offered to save the souls of an entire village, of all the children of the village that have been taken too soon. If only she delivers this little curse that Vasudev has, has um, concocted. 
Uh, and so to save the, the souls of these children, um, Estella curses uh, um, a baby girl that's just been born. Um, her voice is going to be the most beautiful thing anyone has ever heard. It will also kill anyone who hears it. But what happens when that little girl grows up and falls in love? Mm. Yeah. And, and then the last story is Hatchling. And Hatchling is, is a fairy story, fairy as in the fae, uh, with all of the trappings of, of sort of like the... the, the not, not the fairies, the, the nice ones that grant wishes and not, not the sort of the elvish kind, but the fairy in all their darkness and all their jealousy for, for the human race. Absolutely. The ones that still keep children, keep them as pets until they're too old to serve the, the, the purpose. And, and then they get used in other ways. And this is just that kind of story. Yeah. So it's the story of Maeve and her daughter Asmi. Maeve is a weird little thing um, and her daughter understands that when her mother wakes up in the night screaming and frightened that that's something that's happened to her but she's never told her um, until one day Asmi wakes up and one of her brown eyes has turned blue Ooh, that's not good. Ooh, that's not good. so yeah um, all the three stories sort of revolve around um, that that sort of old world almost with a Victorian touch um, superstitions and fey and and everything that's dark. You got a bit of demon there, and oh, absolutely wonderful. And not the least wonderful thing about this book is the illustrations by Jim De Bartolo. Um, so there's there's a full sort of three four pages of of illustration panels about um one of the parts of each story and then right at the end of the story there is one last page that sort of embodies the whole meaning of the short story and they're absolutely gorgeous and one of the first things that I that I sort of noticed when I opened the book um, I absolutely adored it it's wonderful it, it sucks you right in uh, all the short stories of brilliant world building and you do care for the characters by the end of it you're sort of half enamored with with these weird little people that that populate the stories um so this is lips touch and it's as i said it's a short story collection by laney taylor and it's uh, um published by um oh where is it I will tell you in a second. Hodder, Hodder, Hodder is the publisher. Um, but yes, absolutely wonderful. Pick it up. Don't miss it. It's gorgeous. Okay. Are we almost out of show? Uh, we've, we've got another couple the world 24 hours a day this is family international i totally adore the stuff that hotter skip are doing at the moment mm. they, they, they're doing some amazing stuff um I, I honestly, I picked it up thinking, oh, that looks good. And I really enjoyed Daughter of Smoke and Bone. And I read it in a day and then I read it again because I just couldn't believe how good it was. Uh, Angry Planet, which is one of the ones we talked about a little while ago, is on Hodder at the moment. Yeah. Well, it's out on Hodder. Um, and I, I really need to get my hands on it because it's the, the, the kind of the, 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 the one that we all started singing Firefly to. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. Um, but yes, so social, uh, talking about Hodder and their fantastic social media, we have social media. Yay! It's, sort of Shh, it's fantastic. Don't don't Oi. let it. But yeah, so so if you want to know what we talked about today and want to have a look at links, producer Al, as awesome as always, has, has put things on Facebook and Twitter. So just tune in uh, on Radio Bookworm um, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and all the delicious social media where we're at. You can also find us find links to the UK Podcast Awards on. Well, vote for us, please. Did you know? Did you know? that we didn't get enough votes to get into the shortlist of the Hugos and we only needed like literally less than 30 votes 
Like less than thirty votes, people. We had like we had about a dozen, but that's because we have a young and exciting audience. <laughs> and, and of, of friends, <laughs> and they're young and they're vibrant. Political, whereas, political. Where, whereas, because Nightvale only got about twenty votes. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight votes, people. You'll find all those statistics on our Tumblr coming up in an exciting queue to post this week. Yeah. But so it, it's like, you know, with 70 votes, we could have won a Hugo. It's it's scary thought. 28 vote for Night Vale, one of the most popular cult podcasts in the world right now. Mm. 28 votes on the Hugo. So there is something wrong with the Hugo Awards demographic. And uh, we know what it is. They're all getting <laughs> old. That's the problem. <laughs> Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest running magazine of sci fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today. I've been your host at Fortune. And I've been your hostess as well, Nymphase. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs>